0: Welcome to This Is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast, like the CSRHA, brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what is happening across today's rural health ecosystem. You'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they are finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us for our first. Fireside Chat of 2021. My name is Scott Hertzberg. I'm a board member and the president-elect of the California State Rural Health Association, and today I'll be your host and moderator. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our two guest speakers for our Fireside Chat today. First is Brock Slabock. He is the senior vice president of the National Rural Health Association. Brock joined the NRHA in 2008, and he's got administrative responsibility for all areas of member services, including membership, communication, and meetings and exhibitions. Brock was a rural hospital administrator for more than 21 years and has served on the board for the NRHA and the regional policy board for the American Hospital Association. Brock specializes in rural health system development that encompasses population health and the varied payment programs moving. Rural Providers into Value-Based Purchasing Models. He serves on the CMS Star Rating Technical Expert Panel, is a member of the National Quality Forum's Measures Application Partnership, Hospital and Rural Health Workgroup, and serves on the Board of Directors of the Healthcare Facilities Accreditation Program. With us also is Nathan Baugh, who is Director of Government Affairs at the National Association of Rural Health Clinics. Nathan became the Director of Government Affairs for the NARHC in April of 2015. Nathan works on both regulatory and legislative policy at the federal level. He's been involved in issues such as the chronic care management benefit, COVID-19 allocations for RHCs, and telehealth. Nathan worked closely with the federal government on the RHC COVID-19 testing program and with Congress on the RHC payment modernization policy, which passed late 2020. So, Welcome, Brock and Nathan. Um, I would say good morning, but it, but where you are, it's good afternoon to you both. And it is lovely to have you join us today.
1: Thank you, great to be here, Scott, and uh, appreciate the invitation to uh, be with everyone via Fireside today.
0: Yeah, absolutely, our virtual Fireside. It's, <laughs> it is cold enough out here in California right now for a fire though. So today's Fireside chat is really our first opportunity in 2021 to discuss kind of the current and future state of rural healthcare. In the next, let's say 45 minutes or so, I'd really love it if we could explore your perspectives on what we learned in 2020, and then kind of look forward to what rural healthcare leaders and our CSRHA members can do to be even more prepared for what's coming in 2021. Does it sound good for you for today?
1: (laughs) Sounds perfect.
0: So, So for our first topic, uh, and Brock, we'll start with you. I'd like oh. to look back at 2020. You know the the year that was. Um, I know a lot of 2020 is associated with kind of this doom and gloom thing, but you know I really think that there was some good that happened in 2020. There are silver linings to those storm clouds, and I know that many of my colleagues feel that the COVID-19 pandemic shined a real bright light on, um, you know, government, our infrastructure, our workforce, our healthcare, and pointed out some gaps, but also you know, gave rise to some opportunities. So, you know, we had a lot of people doing more with less, um, whether it was less staff or less supplies or less space. So in this context, as it relates to healthcare, you know, what would you say were some of the big wins of 2020 or some learnings and some successful pivots?
1: Well, I, I 2020 was such a complex year in many ways, as you mentioned, Scott, and um, it, obviously the pandemic Was uh, sucked all of the air out of the room, and appropriately so. But I think out of that mix of complexity came some important policy efforts that really, I believe, changed a lot of how we'll be doing our business for quite a while. So the first I'll think of is the extension of the distance site status for rural health clinics and federally qualified health centers to be able to produce services via telecommunications for patients from those facilities. And I know that for these rural places, before the pandemic, we had maybe 2% of claims were generated using a telehealth mechanism. During the height of the pandemic, around March April, May, we were seeing 80% of services at a rural place being done by telehealth. And the reason is because the CMS had actually vacated all of our hallways of patients because they said, you know, elective and and, out, and outpatient right. services needed to be canceled. And clinics and hospitals were hemorrhaging cash. They didn't have the ability to stay in business without supplementing their services through telehealth. And that really, I mean, I'm impressed and amazed at how quickly your rural, rural clinics and, and FQACs were able to pivot And set those services up, get them going, and uh, actually serving their patients in their communities, which was the most important part. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we know that, you know, when you're sitting at home worrying about a condition and you don't want to go to the clinic because you're afraid you're going to get COVID, or you don't want to go to the emergency room because you don't think you're sick enough, um, it's a real frustrating feeling. So it did provide a huge uh, service to our communities. And so I would look at that as the first thing. I could go on, but I'll stop there.
0: Okay, yeah, fantastic. I, I know that I you know personally benefited from telehealth, right? I've got young kids, and you know, I've got a you know weird, you know scratch or cough or whatever. We don't know what it is. It was wonderful to be able to just call up the doctor from home. And not worry about either being exposed to somebody who needed to be there in person, or exposing someone else in case, you know, what we had was was something contagious. So, I you know that was, you know, real wonderful. And um, we had a lot of our rural health clinics kind of do that little dip, and and kind of come yeah. up. So, Nathan, the first topic that we we're kind of talking about was, you know, given everything else that was going on in 2020. You know what would you say were some actual highlights, some some big learnings, some opportunities that people seized and were able to capitalize on. So Brock had mentioned the big pivot towards telehealth and how big that was for health clinics to be able to, I mean, almost overnight. You said you know go from two percent of claims to in a couple of months was eighty percent of claims or telehealth. Yeah. Um, So what other things, Nathan, come to mind for victories in 2020?
2: Yeah, telehealth is a big thing that I think we're going to see going forward more and more. Um, I know we had it a little bit later on the agenda here, but um, I I do think my predictions on telehealth is that everyone recognizes it's here to stay. But if I had to guess, and I want to be wrong on this, but if I had to guess, what Congress will do is likely go for temporary extensions because they're not necessarily ready to make permanent decisions about payment and things like that for telehealth, unfortunately. So what I would predict or project is that you'll see some sort of um, temporary extension beyond the public health emergency for a year or two, and then a lot of studies commissioned by Congress to sort of figure out if it's cost effective, if um, you know what the payment should be. And they'll, they'll direct a bunch of people to do a study, a couple of studies yeah. over the coming years before they make their permanent decision on, on telehealth. Um, I want to be wrong in that because I would like to see it be permanent as soon as possible. But unfortunately I think that this is going to be a multi-year conversation, multi-year, multiple years of advocacy in order to really get telehealth um, you know, achieved for Medicare. Um, so that's that's kind of my prediction there. One other thing I just point out, one of the things that I think we is a lesson learned from 2020 is that um, Congress made a big decision um, to pass a lot of money and things like to provide a relief fund. And HHS then made the decision thereafter that um, they wanna get that money out as fast as possible and then fill in all the details about what the strings are attached to that money later. And I think we're living with the consequences of that now with all the reporting metrics and things like that just now coming on board for many of the allocations. So hopefully going forward, Um, If we have to subsidize the healthcare industry in a massive way, because there's another pandemic or a massive decline in healthcare volumes, hopefully we can do that with and have the rules somewhat be clear earlier, as opposed to filling in the details on the rules later. um, That's a lesson learned, I think.
0: Yeah, I, you know, my my day job in regulatory, you know I, I kind of feel that whiplash from, oh, I got an email. What's the newest latest thing that that is going on? You know that there's some new waiver or some new process in place. Um, so yeah, Brock.
1: Well, I was just gonna say, I mean the, the problem with the way they rolled out the frequent frequently asked questions or the FAQs on the provider Relief fund directives, Um, It's been terribly confusing, it hasn't been a linear path in terms of understanding their intention and so we've been struggling with this back and forth sort of uh, notion and I know we're in fact having a meeting just after this internally to discuss our strategy on uh, the frequently asked questions and trying to see where the Biden administration is headed with the PRFs, especially as it relates to accounting and auditing of those funds. And one of the big questions that we want to get answered, I know it's a huge concern to a lot of hospital providers, and that is the June 30 deadline for expending the capital uh, expenditures, so If you want to use some of your provider relief funds to retrofit your facilities for COVID-related activities, maybe for a future pandemic. Uh, you have to have it finished by June 30. So we're getting all these mixed signals about whether or not you can do it or you can't do it. Some facilities have received special designation that they can, but that's not general. So we just need to really get the Biden administration team online to understand where they want to head with those, the answers to those kind of questions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, you brought up the Biden administration, right? So along with everything else that happened in 2020, we, had an election <laughs> um, so you know we're seeing turnover at, at local state federal levels you know in California we promoted a senator to vice president we have a new senator um, we have a new administration coming in and, and in the last I mean it's been a week since you know President Biden was sworn in in the days just before that we saw resignation of CMS Administrator Seema Verma um, Secretary of DHHS Alex Azar right? They, they're both out. We've got a new freshman class of Congress, I think something like 60 new faces who are coming in. So, you know, when I got into rural healthcare was mid-2017. So the Trump administration had already been in swing for several months. So I never got to see what that kind of transfer looks like. As we're starting this new administration, you know, what impact can a new administration really have on rural health, either for the providers or the patients? you know, is that is that something that we're going to see, you know, lots of executive orders or is it going to be mostly, you know, this longer drawn out process like we had, like the Affordable Care Act took a really long time and is still, you know, undergoing? What are your thoughts on that? And, and Brock, we'll go to you.
1: Well, it's a good question, Scott. I, I, I think that I can only go by what President Biden has said in public statements uh, regarding rural health. We don't really know exactly how their administration is going to carry out a lot of things, but I think that at the top, it was reported in the New York Times on December 2nd, uh, President Biden said, then president-elect, we've got to end the rural health care crisis now. We need to basically get a public option, enrolling people automatically in Medicaid, and the biggest problem is that there's not enough reimbursement for them, meaning rural providers, to be able to keep open. And then he added, and I think this is an important note, and they are often the biggest employer in that town or city. So I think he was reflecting the importance of rural health care, both in terms of access, which, of course, we understand right. is critical, but then also the economic development opportunities that healthcare has, often 20 or more percent of the rural economy is related to healthcare. And that's such an important uh, element to keep that going. So I think I would take now President Biden at his word. Um, We've seen in the pandemic, um, in the document that was prepared and released last Friday, the national strategy for the COVID-19 response and pandemic preparedness, if you go to goal six, and I would encourage everybody who's uh, on the line to, to go to that, and I will quote, protect those most at risk in advance equity, including across racial, ethnic, and rural urban lines. So this is in this national pandemic plan, a little over hundred, close to 200 pages. Um, and again, they call out as a matter of health equity, the issue of rural urban. So that lens is being applied, I think, in the matter of health equity, which we're very pleased and really encouraged to see that so, so young now in the Biden administration.
0: And so prominently featured, right? You don't, like it's it's up there in, in front. Um, yeah, we've talked for years, your zip code shouldn't determine your life expectancy, right, that's, it needs to be on a bumper sticker. So um, hopefully we're seeing traction in that area. Um, Nathan, what are your thoughts on, you know, we've got new, we're going to have a new CMS administrator, new DHHS secretary, uh, what potential mm-hmm. impact could we have?
2: Well, uh, certainly we um, we will have to educate the new administrator and the new um, Secretary of HHS on some of the things that happened right at the end of the Trump administration in terms of the Rural Health Clinics program. We have a lot of regulatory work to um, get through, not only related to the pandemic, but also with the RHC Modernization Act um, that's going to have to be done early on. And then if there is any decision on telehealth, I'd fully expect a lot of regulatory work on telehealth. So all of those um, things will be, you know, handled not hands-on by the CMS administrator, but we will certainly be um, reaching out and making sure that she's aware and that she she has her staff or or he has her staff, his staff um, looped in a on our priorities. Um, you know, I. I know that the next question here is, are, are there any freshman members of Congress you have your eye on? And I just want to, I, I took a note here. I know that Senator Ossoff in the Georgia runoff tweeted several times about rural health and rural hospital closures. So um, he was one of the, it was somewhat something that I caught my eye since there was so much attention on that race. And um, it was an issue that he chose to highlight in the campaign. And then I also noted that um, I, I have the Iowa delegation. We have three new members from Iowa and Iowa always been a really strong supporter, both in the House and the Senate of rural health. So we have some new folks in Iowa that we're going to try to educate. Um, so those are just some standouts that I have in the, in the new members of Congress.
0: Oh, fantastic. Picking up on Nathan's
1: comment, one of the freshman individuals that I'm particularly interested in watching, in addition to Ossoff and and Warnock, is Senator Hickenlooper from uh, Colorado. Um, He's been involved in some really important rural legislation and implementing policies and procedures there in Colorado that have been really interesting uh, to watch. Uh, For example, creating some networks in rural areas of providers for purposes of contracting and uh, trying to create markets for rural healthcare to be delivered locally and paid for locally. So, so I think that we've got some really good innovations perhaps coming from this freshman class and I'm really excited about that.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I know, you know, in kind of researching and preparing for this, um, you know, I remembered that the USDA has a rural health liaison. And so, you know, I'm hoping that maybe we we see some action on that side too, that we can look at and say, hey, we really got to test our telehealth, our broadband system across rural. That was one of the stated purposes, I think, when they were trying to create that USDA rural health liaison position was get broadband access out. Uh, You know, we talked earlier about telehealth and the very, we'll say successful pivot to telehealth for a lot of providers. But I know that there's still some gaps where, You know, we, we have people that they might have the nicest computer and pay for the best service in their area. They still can't do, you know, live, they have to do an asynchronous store and forward sort of thing. So, you know, Brock, Nathan, to either of you, you know, what hope do we have for broadband expansion, seeing broadband, you know, maybe as a utility sort of thing where we can get some real support behind it in our rural areas?
1: Well, I'll start and I'll pick up where I left off on President Biden's statements back in December. Uh, he went on to say that a lot of rural hospitals and clinics could benefit from telemedicine. Um, he then quoted and said that uh, we should be spending about $20 billion to put broadband across the board. And I think this was, again, an unsolicited comment from him in, quest- in, in talking about healthcare and the needs of all Americans now, including rural, And I think there is a commitment to understand that we can have all of the technology in the world of telehealth and making connections to people using those modalities. But if that last mile isn't achieved in terms of delivery of broadband, then it's all for naught. And And
0: you mean the literal last mile, right? Literally the last mile. Literal last mile. Yeah, (laughs) if the broadband stops two blocks short of your house, you don't get to benefit from it.
1: Yeah, it's like in a lot of rural places, if you've got these information superhighway, the big, you know, mega circuit that goes nationwide. You could be on, you, know, you could be in the same area as that, but if you don't have an off road that gets that connection to your house or to your uh, place of work, it's useless. So, and that's the problem we have in rural communities. I go back to the rural electric service, so rural electrification back in after the depression. Uh, you look at rural telephone service. Um, I think we need to look at innovations like that, actually, in terms of trying to help pay for the need to get these services out to remote and rural areas. Just like we had the priority back then to get everybody electric and telephone, uh, we need the same kind of determination with this.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And I don't have any, um,
2: you know, I don't have any additional comments on the broadband. Of course, I would like to see that. Go. It's not something that I, the broadband issues is not something that I've generally worked on, um, you know, but certainly I will say that one of those questions that I alluded to regarding telehealth and that how are we going to handle it is what to do with the non-video s- kinds of telehealth, whether that's asynchronous and you're just sending pictures and right. text based communications to the providers but also um, audio only um, just a, a simple phone call um, how, you know do we pay that how much do we pay that relative to a face to a video service um, what kinds of things can be done audio only what kinds of things require live video um, those are the questions that um, you know, there are a lot of nuanced answers. And it's one of the reasons why I predict that telehealth might take a while for us to kind of sort all this out and why they're they're probably gonna go with a temporary extension while they sort of work through these issues.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I worked a little bit in telehealth before shifting to rural, and it was surprising to see what the variation is what you know from state to state that there wasn't a federal standard. And so one state might allow asynchronous store and forward type. Another state might say live video only, you know, so I, I can't imagine the regulatory mess trying to bring everyone to the table on that. Um, but Nathan, one of the things that, that I would actually say is a, a win from 2020 was mm. the RHC modernization act. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I had the opportunity of attending your presentation with Bill Finnefrock a few weeks back and mm. learned way more than I expected about it. Sure. For those who weren't on it, can you kind of give us the, the elevator pitch, if you will? Sure,
2: it's, um, the RHC Modernization Act um, was something that NARHC had been working on for a long time. And it raises the Medicare cap for rural health clinics significantly from the $87 that it is right now to $190 by 2028. And we also think that it puts the RHC program on a sustainable track. Now I I will, you know, for those who want all the details, I would refer you to our presentation that that is available online. But um, we did grandfather in all the hospital-owned RHCs, not, well, we, sh- we tried to grandfather in as many as we could. There was a- an issue with the date, which we're working on. Um, but for our rural health clinics that were not subject to that cap, um, you will get whatever you got in 2020 for your Medicare reimbursement rate. And then it will be adjusted uh, next year or in 2021, your clinic-specific upper limit will be what you got in 2020 plus MEI. So that is a major change from where we were before. But we think that if we didn't do something proactively now, we were headed towards uh, a FQHC style PPS or a single cap with no grandfathering provision for our hospital owned RHC. So we just, we we truly believe that the the uncapped, cost-based reimbursement was unsustainable, and um, now we're on a sustainable um, policy pathway, and um, we've we've tried to protect our hospital-based RHCs as as much as we could. And then lastly, I'll just point out that going forward, all newly established RHCs will be subject to that um, the main, if you will, cap that is now rising to $190 um, by 2028. So there's a, f- a level playing field going forward. We've grandfathered in all our hospital-owned RHCs, with the n- notable exception that there's it says 2019 instead of 2020, but we're working to fix that. And, um, you know, we think that the entire policy just puts the, the RHC program on a, on a much better footing going forward.
0: That's fantastic. And so, if folks wanted to learn more; they can just head to narhc.org.
2: Yeah, um, it should be pretty apparent on our homepage where our presentation is on that. And there are it is it is a long conversation, so I don't want to get into all the nuances here unless we get questions. But um, the 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 presentation is publicly available, free. There's a video and oh, there's fantastic. also slide.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I, I know. I was excited to see that. And as I was watching and I'm thinking, I need to send this to my people who do finances. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, all right. Well, thank you both for, for participating today. We're coming to the end of our hour and you've you've answered all the questions that have come in. Heather, take us away.
2: Thank you so much. I I, am really grateful to Brock and Nathan and both and Scott for being here and, you know, just great to share ideas as it is. So just exciting, uh, exciting time and a great time to focus on grassroots um, efforts as was mentioned um, by both of you. So thank you.
0: All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Take care. Be safe.
1: Thank you.
0: This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at CSRHA.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRHA Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at CSRHA.org.